0: About Reality podcast. This is our fourth iteration and our very first guest of all time. Goody and I are excited, overwhelmingly excited really to welcome Matt Waldman of Rookie Scouting Portfolio fame. We're going to talk some rookies today. And Matt Waldman, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, nice to have, nice to be on. I'm Luke and Matt. It's This is going to be fun. I'm a big fan of the RSO format. So this should be, this should be cool.
0: As we get into this, you were an early adopter of the format. Uh, you're widely known for your work at Football Guys, um, your your own podcast with Sigmund Bloom. I'm excited your your work and your writing was one of the first things that inspired me to get into the game a little bit more. Um, and one thing that was notable um, about how you treat the community, first of all, your responsiveness to us, your coming on the program is is a gesture that I think can't be can't be overstated. But you also donate. A lot of the proceeds from your most notable work, the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, to to a cause, and I just wanted to give give ground for that on our program because I think it's worthwhile and notable. So if you want to talk about that for a second before we get into the fun fake football stuff, sure.
1: I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do that. That's um the the organization I donate ten percent of every sale to is um, Darkness to Light, and that's an organization out of Charleston, South Carolina that's devoted to. Um, providing education to help individuals, communities, um, any type of civic or business organization to learn how to prevent sexual abuse um, for children, as well as to um, address the issue in an appropriate manner when uh, there's some, a victim that comes forward so that they are able to limit the kind of the residual damage that often occurs um, with victims of sexual abuse, as we've seen, you know, you know, played out with Michigan State and Penn State in recent years. So I started doing this in 2012. Um, you know, it's a great program that they have there. You can go to darknessdarknesstolight to find more. I think it's org. It might be darkness com, but you can find darkness to light, um, you know, online pretty easily. It's a it's a very well tended charitable organization that's doing good work. I think Caitlin Brewer is the new CEO who is, who is handling it very well. I got a chance to speak with her on this past year and I'm impressed with the direction of what they want to do to take that. And, um, yeah, so you can enjoy your fantasy football and your NFL draft takes and know that, you know, some of that is going to a decent cause. That's going to really help people out.
0: Thank you very much. That's well said. And there you go. All you RSO GMs out there, help yourself by getting the rookie scouting portfolio and help people in reality. And, uh, and know that you could do some good in this world with with this fake football that we all enjoy. So, Goody, I'm going to kick it over to you. Why don't you open us up with a question for our esteemed guest?
2: Sure thing. I appreciate it, Luke. Um, just quick note, I can be found on Twitter at Matt Goody2. Uh, first question, I guess, that we have for you, Matt, we, we just figured out that we had a lot in common where I grew up and you grew up in, in the Cleveland area. And um, as somebody, we really value your analysis and your input, namely as as somebody who has to kind of prioritize watching fake football on Sundays, we don't necessarily get a chance to dive into all the college games on Saturdays. So what you do really is a comprehensive guide that informs analysis that we're all RSO GMs are doing. But I guess the first question would be, you've been doing this, you've been at this for, you know, over a decade now, and I'm I'm just kind of curious what players – are you most proud of kind of when you scouted that maybe you were obscure or something else that you predicted accurately for fantasy purposes? So maybe like you're talking about maybe your biggest hit, what you're proud of and maybe your biggest miss
1: as well. Sure. Um, You know, guys that are memorable for me, Oh man, you know, Russell Wilson probably comes to mind pretty well because I, you know, i got a lot of credit for, for liking him, even from like, you know, places like ESPN talking about you know that I that I predicted him to be a good pocket quarterback who who would be a dynamic player in this league. It's got you know lower end guys like Spencer Ware, um, Ahmad Bradshaw. Um, those were guys that I think you know I had rated higher than a lot of folks who um, you know performed pretty well at a, at a high level. Um, you know, and then I, I'd say. You know, there's probably, you know, even guys like even Matt Forte or guys that people really liked that I wasn't as high on, like, you know, Matt Leinart is a good example. Darren McFadden, you know, guys like that, that, you know, maybe I, I wasn't as high on as other people were. Guys that I missed on, I mean, Dimitri, um, Demarius Thomas is probably heads the list for me. Demarius Thomas was a guy who I saw the athletic skill, but I wondered if he was really going to acquire the technical skill at a level that was going to vault him into stardom. And that was a guy that, that was a strong hit or a strong miss. Um, I'd say Dak Prescott is a guy that while I saw the skills, I didn't, he was kind of on the borderline for a lot of things with me. And so he was much lower in my rankings and that's actually, you know, that kind of, caused me to question some things about how I was doing my process because I felt like that, you know, I wanted to explore that a little more because I saw the talents were there, but I didn't think they were all going to get put together. So that was something that I wanted to, you know, I wondered if more viewings would have helped that because I feel like I described them accurately enough, but it didn't piece together. Um, you know, so those are some of the guys. Jared Goff's a guy that hit for me recently That's I think is going to – be here to stay you know that's another example of a guy that people were like really low on but has turned out to be pretty good so paul richardson would be another hit i guess too um mike davis might be a miss i don't know we'll see i liked him but it might be a miss and so we'll find out
0: i don't think you should beat yourself up over jared goff when i saw him not know which direction east or west the sun rose on the hbo program i was a little concerned <laughs> oh, no. about he, he was running- Oh, I
1: liked him. I liked golf. It was, yeah, I actually liked him, but But Um, I didn't know that. That's funny.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Having said that creators like yourself spend so much time in the tape and learning about real football and disseminating that information to those of us that are on the receiving end of it. And frankly want to know how this changes the way we play the fake football game. Um, one article of yours that that stood out in my mind as I started my own thought process of playing and writing with, with bigger names and better players was uh, this idea of a desirability ranking. And you and Sigmund Bloom wrote about this a while ago. And I think you've talked about it to some extent uh, moving forward from them, but it's the idea that you rank players by their desirability of drafting them at their current ADP rather than just have a straightforward linear ranking system. So um, I just wanted to give you a chance to speak about that and ask if that's still a practice you have as a, as a player, right? Like, a, a, so Goody has great questions for you as a creator and someone who scouts real football. I want to know how you play the game that we all love so much a little bit. Do you still Do you still like the desirability ranking and still find yourself doing something like that?
1: <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's something that I think Bloom created and I tried to do it in a little different way than he did. He did it more in a, in a subjective sort of way of like, I like these guys, here's the list of guys within this ADP range. And I like these guys the most out of that range. And I decided that'd be, it'd be fun to kind of do a statistical look at this and see if I could. Or at least a data oriented look and see if i could do a little bit more with it. it was more of an experiment i think it's a good a good concept and i think it's something that kind of it gets filtered into how i i play the game and a lot of how i play it is dictated by kind of how it's evolved for me because i used to you know when i first started playing you know the internet was still kind of just on the horizon so we were you know, we'd hang out at a bar, we'd watch, we, we'd read the newspaper, use the box scores to score the games, and we'd have our drafts in house and watch Monday Night Football while we're scoring the games to figure out who won that week. And then it changed pretty quickly over the span of about eight years. And it was, you know, and at that point, you know, everyone was using the internet. And while, and then it was the websites like Football Guys or, you know, the sites like that that were kind of giving people an edge. And then now it's to the point that everybody pretty much has access to all the information if they want it. And there's no real secret site or secret, you know, magazine or anything like that. If you look hard enough. And for me, it's evolved that from playing in local leagues and not really having much time to do local leagues anymore to mostly internet leagues. And most of my internet leagues are with people who are other writers or people who are so diehard fans that they read everything including my own book. So it's one of those deals where um, it's gotten to a point for me that I've, I've spent the past probably six to eight years doing a lot of work on how to be more daring and bold and experimental about how I draft because everyone's looking, you know, it seems like everyone embracing data has embraced data to the point where it's like, this is how it is, you know, and they and they're playing the percentages, so everything's safe. Like, you know, you I'm I'm overstating this, but it's almost like you have an 85 percent chance of succeeding if you pick a running back like this or a wide receiver in this range. So for me, it's, it's it makes more sense as someone who watches all this film and looks at all these different dynamics to go. Well, if they have an 85 percent chance who's in that 15% range right, right. that I think could be really good that could completely tip the apple card over into my, my side of things. So I do more high risk type of drafting as a result.
0: Nice. I think that's how my wife agreed to marry me as well with the high risk <laughs> draft. Along the way. Like, so that's, I appreciate I the 15. Yeah. I appreciate the 15%. <laughs> All right. Goody, Goody, what are you thinking? What's the next one coming at me? He-
2: yeah, I want to talk specifically about reality sports online. Uh, obviously, you're an early adopter, played in an experts league and whatnot. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what your strategy is when you're playing RSO, kind of the trade-offs between rook- rookies and established talent, um, how many dr- rounds of draft, if you're willing to trade late-round draft picks in, in high frequency, what what you're really looking at when you're kind of dealing with the facets and aspects of, of a Contract ba- contract length based salary cap league.
1: Sure, you know, and it's it's one of the most fun leagues because of the fact that you've got that all these different elements at play, and and I like the rookie draft. Obviously, we did about a five round draft, and then w- with our with our our setup with salary um, with salary caps. You know, one of the things that we found is I, I found that a lot of times. You know, I I never won the league. I found myself in I was in leagues with like Mike Clay and Bob Harris at Football Diehards and Bloom and some of the football guys and Matt Harmon and Evan Silva and we had a number of guys go in and out of there. But I had a I had a team that never missed the playoffs and was usually in the final, you know, in the semifinals. And what I found was that I liked to use, you know, I I looked at it in three different aspects. Like, okay, first I'm building a dynasty team. I'm thinking of it as a dynasty team. So for me, I like to have a strong quarterback um, who's not young, but who's not like going to retire in the next year or two. So I'm looking for guys who are like in their early thirties at quarterback. And I like to grab a, usually like to have, as many starting caliber stud wide receivers as I can get. Um, and and for me that was – I had like Calvin Johnson for a while and I had a couple – Deshaun Jackson and a couple other guys who were pretty decent. Um, and then if I could get an anchor at tight end, depending on the league scoring, if it was a PPR or 1.5 PPR, I would – I would really try and do that. And running back was the position that I just kind of was like, I'll try to draft one or I'll try to get one in an auction that will serve me for a year or two. And kind of and then if I can develop a young guy, I'd do that. So when it came to the draft, usually I was I was bidding early and aggressively on running backs who were available in our free agent period, like Um, Matt Forte became a free agent as a bear the year before he left for the New York Jets. And it didn't work out for me um, because I was, you know, I was really hoping that I could pay like a little more than market value that everybody was going after. But you can go aggressive early in in these auctions because generally people tend to be a little more gunshaw wanting to win the auction. And I felt like, okay, well, if I have a good team now, I just need to win the picks I need, you know, like I need like two or three guys. Let me win those. I don't care about the rest of the auction. If I get somebody who surprises me, you know, in one of my late round picks, that's great. But sometimes I think that it's worthwhile to have a strategy where you're, you know what your team needs are and you decide whether you need to win the auction draft or whether you need to, you know, or whether you can make winning picks with your, with your actual, you know, not snake draft, but kind of rookie draft.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Speaking of winning the picks, that's kind of the game that I wanted to play with you a little bit and get your insight. Um, And what I'm going to do is propose two rookies for you that a GM could potentially draft, and then tell you, like, given their current um, fantasy pros ADP, uh, and I tried to narrow that down and rely on um, respected names like Ryan McDowell and other experts that we that we all trust, um, where you would have to draft them, and then what that draft cost would be on the RSO rookie scale, and then given the, the comparative costs, which one you would want on your team for four years, which is what most the default rookie setup is for RSO. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make it interesting and hard for you right off the bat. Um, okay. The running back Nick Chubb currently rings in at the 1.03 spot. And I know you have a lot of love for them, for him and are sharing that through your RSP. And we'll talk about that. And then the, the wide receiver Dante Pettis falls all the way down to the middle of the third round at this point. So Nick Chubb would cost his first year, $6.4 million against the, the NFL salary cap. Dante Pettis would ring in around $1 million for that first year. And, Not rise to over two million over the course of four year in the contract, whereas Nick Chubb would rise to closer to eight million. So, of those two players, which one would you prefer? I'd
1: still take Chubb because at eight million, that's not bad (laughs) for a (laughs) running back, considering where they inflate later on, Um, especially you know when people start having to bid on them in the open market or what you'd have to do to franchise one of these top guys if they really play well. So. And with running backs, you kind of know, like after the first two to three years, you know what you're getting out of that guy um, and most of the time. So while I really like Dante Pettis, I feel like that, you know, running backs are the hardest position to trade for. They're the position you get the most money trading away. They're the position also that's the most in demand. So if I think the back can be a top back and be that kind of anchor player, I'm going with him and I think that he's a great example of an of a potential anchor back.
2: Excellent.
0: All right, goody, what do you think?
2: Okay. Yeah, I, I kind of want to build build on that que- that very question actually. So, does that mean that in a rookie draft you're skewing towards dra- drafting running players at the running back position over receivers? Let me throw another wrinkle in that maybe new that since you know, since you've been doing RSO leagues, is now similar to the NFL. There's the fifth-year extension option for first-round draft picks. So, just like the NFL, it's a transition tag value. You can sign a guy. I guess this year's off-season is the kind of the Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon one. Uh, you could sign them for the average top ten av- positional average across leagues. So, it, given that, what are what are you doing heading into? say say this year's rookie draft given what all everything you've scouted at the different positions what would you if you're sitting in say pick 1.05 1.06 what do you what do you think you're doing there
1: oh i'm i'm probably picking a running back in this class because this is the best running back class i've scouted i've scouted ever um it doesn't necessarily mean that it will turn out that way but because of the fact that last year i thought was one of the better classes i've scouted and, and I look at last year compared to this year. This year, I think there's 12 to 14 backs who might have fit within my top seven last year. So mm-hmm. considering the depth of talent in that class and how strong it is, and there's literally, I mean, there's there's probably s- there's a, there's six guys for sure that could have been in the top of any class, I think, in this particular group. And then there's probably another six that would have been in the top five easily of most groups. So for me, I, I look at that and think, yeah, some of them may not be drafted that high, that type of thing. But the ones that I know are sure things that first round, who we think are first round players to get it, be able to put a fifth year option to pick as a top 10 player when they might actually outplay that. Um, why not do it? And if you don't have to take that option, you don't have to. And it's, and because of, it's early on in that position. That position's the one that flames out earliest, but tends to be the strongest early. When you get good running backs, it's back to the future. Might as well, might as well go after it.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean that's that's really notably said. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to we're gonna end with a comparison and apples apples to apples comparison of a running back situation that I'm interested in. But right now, the two top uh, wide receivers by ADP are the, the receiver that the analytics community is in love with, DJ Moore, uh, right here close to me, right out of Maryland. And then uh, you have Calvin Ridley right behind him. So that those two draft slots on RSO in the middle of the first round would cost you $4.5 million per year for DJ Moore and $4, uh, 4 million even, basically, for Calvin Ridley um, ascending for the four-year period after that with the fifth-year option. So this one is an apples-apples apples comparison. They're both mid-round. They're both after assuming that tier of running backs that you're interested in is gone. Which one of these guys intrigues you more at their cost?
1: It's a great question because I have them tied in the RSP. Um, so, you know, the, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, perf- they're tied, except for if I were to grade a if I were to give a tiebreaker, it, and it's only – the tiebreaker is based on if I were an NFL GM – or not if I'm an NFL team, if I were studying across the board for NFL teams and I had to just have a basic, who fits the most basic skills that uh, that teams around the league value from a wide receiver, who, who fits most of those skills, Ridley has a slight edge. But in terms of depth of talent or potential for depth of talent, I'd say that Moore has a little bit more upside. Um, so I think that, you know, not knowing where he go. if I didn't, if I had to make a pick before where I knew where he was going, it would be Ridley. But if if the fits are equally strong, I might tend to head with Moore in this particular case because I think Moore's a, is a pretty darn good route runner, despite the fact that Ridley gets that, you know, that call a lot, but he's a little more, he's more physical. And I think what he has to learn, he has more upside, I think, than Ridley does in the sense of things that he can learn and that are teachable. Um, Whereas I think with Ridley, he's only, he may get savvier at some of the things that he does, but I don't think he's going to get markedly better. So it's like Ridley's like, Ridley's the guy that I know that can come in and probably become a very good route runner and do some work. And if he's matched up with like an elite quarterback Where he can develop in the play action game, he can kind of give you, if we link back to like a Marvin Harrison type of talent, maybe not that high level, but kind of that guy who's like just running behind defenders and catching passes because he's getting off the line so quickly. And a lot of that's aided by smart quarterback diagnostics and good route running and scheme. Whereas DJ Moore is more of a player where I feel like if he gets better on the outside at being able to release from the line of scrimmage and run fade routes a little bit more and get better just with that one-on-one, he can play outside and inside and also break tackles for you in the open field and become more of a dynamic 50-50 ball force, as well as the good route runner he already is in the underneath areas of the field. So he has a chance to not only be high volume, but he also has a chance to be big play. So I would probably take the chance on him just as much as I would Ridley. And in a, in a league like this one, I'd probably take the chance on him.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that's a formidable comparison. The, the RSO GMs that miss out on the top tier of running backs now feel a lot better about their life after hearing names <laughs> like Marvin Harrison being thrown around. So, uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know. I know. I feel better.
2: I, I kind of have a couple draft picks clustered right in the middle there in one of my leagues. Um, can, can you talk a l- little bit, Matt, about because you're into an, analyzing a ton of different players, um, how you separate out the love for prospects when you're watching tape versus established players? So how, how you're filtering out the noise, the hype, for instance, you have you have. I think I, I listened to a podcast where you have Nick Chubb rated ahead of Saquon mm-hmm. Barkley. Is that correct? Right. And, and, you know, guys like Dante Pettis, I think rated over some of the guys we just mentioned. Is that right? Yeah. So, can you, yeah. So can you talk a little bit about how, you, how, when you're watching tape and to, to somebody who's a novice, who's kind of relying on either watching their, their own tape or going to, you know, hopefully buying the RSP and, and listening to the experts. Uh, can you talk about how you're you're kind of filtering out the noise and, and, yeah. getting, and, and not being emotional while you're watching tape over certain players?
1: Sure. Well, part of it starts with having a really defined process. And I came from the a background of being an operations manager who ended up doing a lot of work with studying quality processes. So, you know, when you have a process that's very well-defined and in-depth, you're looking at minutia. And that minutia kind of helps you divorce from – you know, what the hype is, because you're having to study specific criteria of technique and athletic ability. And you're really getting into the weeds with the player without losing sight of the overall player, because it all works out with the whole. So there's that. So on the actual just work level and doing the grade, it's not that big of a deal. Um, Where it becomes a big deal is After a while, you do hear about the stuff, no matter whether you want to try and divorce yourself from media or not. It's going to happen. And I do a pretty darn good job of divorcing myself from what's happening in the media because I'm watching players all year, and I watch college football not as, like, a fan. I don't watch it every weekend. I don't watch it for fun. The last game I watched for fun was the first game I watched for fun in, like, six, seven years was the Georgia-Oklahoma game this this time and it's only because i live in atlanta and i went to the university of georgia and i know a lot of people who are georgia fans i'm not a georgia fan most people would say you must be if you like nick chubb more than saquon barkley but as i mentioned in the rsp um you know i first went to school at the university of miami in, in florida and um that was the last time i was really a, a a fan back in the 1980s of college football um so you know i i I worked at the university, I graduated from the university. I'd never been to a Georgia football game, never been. I mean, I literally worked like a walking distance from where, you know, Sanford Stadium is. Other than like going there to help arrange a photo shoot for the former coach Vince Dooley, I had never actually been on the field and I covered practices in the practice field, but that was back when Garrison Hurst and Terrell Davis were going to school. Um, And it was a job. So, you know, from that standpoint, I didn't know that Lamar Jackson won the Heisman Trophy until last July when I first watched him. I just don't follow the narrative. I study the game. It could be a game from October of 2016, or it could be a game that happened the day before, but I don't watch talk shows. I don't watch, you know, I am on Twitter and I hear some of that stuff, but that doesn't feed in what does feed in or what's hard sometimes is knowing that people I respect or I follow on Twitter or on social media or other writers who I know study the game, talking about how good a guy is to them. And so when I don't like the guy, it's natural to think, well, am I missing something? Is it something that I like? You know, is there something that I'm missing here? Should I, you know, and I try and watch him more and I don't try and read what that person's saying too much. Um, you know, maybe at the end, I'm curious about it. Um, but I just remind myself that my process, relies on me sticking to it and when there's something that doesn't quite fit how i've defined things that i need to find answers to how to better define that criteria so and when i've and i've been doing it for 13 years so the first year i did this i remember i liked this running back by the name of mike bell out of arizona and i had him like ranked fifth or sixth on my running back board and i didn't like Matt Leiner, as much as everyone else and everyone was kind of just saying, well, what do you know, this kind of thing, whatever. And I thought, well, I'm this Mike Bell guy. I like him and he didn't even get drafted. What do I know here? It's my first year. And he ended up becoming the starter for the Broncos that year as an undrafted free agent. Um, so I, I, that reminded me that was like the first validation where I thought, OK, I need to stick with what I'm doing no matter what, even if I even if it looks dumb or crazy. Um, because it's the only way I'm going to learn. And then I've come to learn other people who have said, yeah, I had a high rating on this player, but I kind of fudged it and dropped it because of whatever everybody else was saying. And I thought, I'm never going to do that. I'm going to just continue to do this. And if uh, if I'm dead wrong, I'm dead wrong, but I won't learn faster if I try to um, do what... other I'm trying to predict what other people's processes are because I don't know what their process is so I got to stick to mine and make it better
0: well with a process like yours even despite as airtight it is you you, all of us have at this point heard the hype train surrounding one Saquon Barkley as far as I can tell he might actually be the child of storm the x-men and the black (laughs) panther like it's really good stuff Um, and it might make this next question too easy or too much of a softball but he currently sits at the obvious 101 pick in most drafts. And the 2.01 pick is a, is a big um, difference in reality sports online for our GMs, right? The 2.01 is always a fascinating pick to me because you get that massive drop off in salary owed to the rookie. And right now that would be uh, a running back like Royce Freeman. He's actually sitting at 13 on, on most ADPs. So if you can separate yourself from, from the narrative that surrounds the man, the myth, the legend out of Penn state, uh, is it, even a consideration to consider a back like Royce Freeman or trading back in the first round and picking up the 2.01 for, for a running back like Royce Freeman in your mind. That's a great
1: question because I guess if you're, if you're in a situation where it can help you afford a superstar player down the line, because of the fact that you're making salary caps considerations, heck yes. I think that's a really good idea. I love Saquon Barkley in terms of his overall potential and some of the things that he can do on the field. And if he landed on a team that uses him, like, say, the Rams used Marshall Falk, or the way that Christian McCaffrey was supposed to be used in theory in the Panthers before they ended up going back to North Turner, and now it's going to become who knows what kind of past type of offensive scheme they're going to use there. Well, we know what they're going to use. They've been, north has been using it for 30 mm-hmm. years now. But it's like, <laughs> you, you know, that kind of thing. Royce Freeman to me is one of the more underrated players in this draft class. Who is could easily be have the best production of any of the backs that that are preceded, You know, usually ranked above him, um, if he lands in the right spot. So it's going to depend a lot on landing spot. But in theory, right now, I would say, yeah, why not? Because yeah, you're missing out on a chance of a guy who might be a record breaking player. If he lands, if he gets to be used a lot as a receiver and a space player, or he develops a little bit more to be able to break arm tackles and to be able to not be as, um, you know, I, I guess I'd call it immature with his, with his running style to try and um, bounce things away from creases that are really there because he's trying to make the big play you know, Reggie bushing it or CJ spillering it or any type of thing like that. I used to call it the corner store because nothing really is good at the corner store <laughs> for you to go buy. Um, <laughs> so a good analogy. You know, so that's the, I used, to, I used to say that, you know, he's taking a trip to the corner store. So, um, it's good in a pinch, but usually, you, you know, you may have certain things by design, you want to get there, but usually not, not much is really good to go to go by up there and get. So, He'll, he should tame that, but Royce Freeman's a smart back with good, good skill. And I think that if you have a superstar, you're worried about keeping, um, then it makes sense to do.
0: Yeah. And Barkley would be 7 million over the course of four years. Freeman would only cost you about 2 million. And, and I guess I'll follow this up briefly and then, and then turn you back over to Goody. Like Barkley at 7 million, uh, is a proposition most owners at this point would, would jump on over a superstar like. Le'Veon Bell or, or DJ at, say, like $20 million per year. Do you think that's smart general managing on the part of, uh, of RSO owners? I
1: think it's a good risk to take in this case because you would need, to me, when I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about things that happened in the past, and we don't really have that many type of players like that. But, like, say you were trying to keep, you know, oh, Antonio Brown, Right. and $5 million was going to make a difference between you keeping Antonio Brown or keeping Saquon Barkley, I'm keeping a, Antonio Brown. Or if Odell Beckham winds up in a really good situation with a great quarterback, it, you know something like that. But we don't have – you know, even Julio Jones right now, I would probably consider Bar- Barkley over Julio Jones just because I cover the Falcons a lot, and it seems like he's always dinged up with that foot and ankle, and I don't think it's ever going to get that much better. Um, for him he'll still be great in, in, until he can't really use that ankle anymore but we don't have a Calvin Johnson like receiver anymore you know and you know at this point or a quarterback receiver combo that authors that other than Brown so on a consistent basis so until we do there's running backs are the type that you know I'd rather have a rookie who I think can be the next you know girly Elliot you know, of that type, David Johnson. But, you know, there at this stage, there's not a lot of them, you know, around. So if you're, if you're looking at either or, I could see why Barkley would be the less expensive, equal upside kind of proposition play. All
0: right. You you just walked back some 1.01 owners back from the ledge there. I was just <laughs> going to title this episode, Matt wallman would dry, draft Barkley over Royce Freeman and, or, <laughs> or vice versa, Royce Freeman over Barkley and see what happened on Twitter. So, um, uh, like, so all right, Matt, you got a couple questions to lead us home here. What do you think, Goody?
2: Sure. Um, yeah. I, I kind of want to understand. Um, I, I would like you to contextualize this if you can, but w- what traits do you see on film that best translate to NFL success? You know, because you look at players from small schools, you look at players from power five conferences. I know a lot of, Publications look at elusiveness, vision, quarterbacks with poise in the pocket, receivers route running, and what route tree they run, quarterback footwork. Can you talk about some of the things that you've that you value the most on tape?
1: Yeah, sure. let's start with quarterback one some of the things one of the things that I really value there's two things I really value. one is what I call quiet feet, which is the ability to, m- to make smaller precise movements in the pocket to avoid pressure. While keeping your head up, eyes downfield and, and staying your feet under you to be in a good throwing position that can be done in rhythm or it can be done very suddenly um, to avoid pressure and Jared Goff and um, Tom Brady and Russell Wilson all have it and they're all very different quarterbacks players that have quiet feet in this draft who are underrated include Lamar Jackson, who might have the quietest feet of any quarterback in this class, but most people associate him with Michael Vick, who had some of the loudest feet you'd ever see um, as, as a as a quarterback. So that tells you a lot about how underrated Jackson is in the pocket. Kyle Laletta has quiet feet, the kid from Richmond, who is going to probably, he might be a surprising first or second round pick in the draft, in the NFL draft. We'll see um, if, if the rumors are correct, we all know it's lying season, um, but he's <laughs> a guy that he's a guy that I think will be considered a developmental starter at some point. So that's those. And the, the second thing that I really like about quarterback, that is really the most important thing is that most NFL teams are still rooted in that, you know, baby boomer sort of um, mentality towards what quarterbacks should show, which is, height, weight, big arm, you know, Johnny Unitas, Terry Bradshaw, um, Troy Aikman kind of template. And so they value the physical, the technical, the the intelligence from a book intelligence standpoint, because the wonder looks a book intelligence type of test. It's not, you know, it doesn't measure other forms of intelligence. And so they, what, they, what they're saying, whether they believe it or not through their actions, is that we value, the, we value all these other skills and we expect them to acquire intuition and integrated, I call it integrated technique. The ability to really wrap around all these other skills and, and use them in various levels together and combine them in situations that are unfamiliar to them and to do it productively and creatively and quarterbacking just like management or performance or any type of skill you know think about school there's kids that were in your grade school that when they when the teacher asked them to recite something or remember something in a subject matter they remembered everything like that but there was always some kid in the back of the room or in the middle of the class who wasn't supposed one of the brightest students in terms of grades But if you ask, when the teacher asked something that required the students to combine several different learning skills together or different concepts that that the one who memorized it all knew, knew, that kid's busy like showing off what they remember. And it's the kid in the middle of the class who's the only one getting it right, though he's probably getting, he or she's getting a C, you know, and barely struggling to get through there. Because really quarter, you know, it's a performance oriented sport, And you've got to be able to combine unknown stimuli. So for quarterbacks, you know, again, I'm looking for that integrative technique. Um, Patrick Mahomes, Brett Favre, Russell Wilson, you you know, even Jared Goff showed it in his first year, despite everybody panning him. They, you know, and and he may, like you said, um, Luke, he may not have known what direction the sun was rising, and but he sure seemed to know how to avoid pressure and find the open man, even in situations where he's dealing with the verbiage of the, the offense that's overwhelming. Um, so there's that. Um, in terms of running back play, there's that integrated technique still applies there, but it's about, you know, maturity of decision-making. I think that running backs who understand how to, um, who understand the down, look at the down and distance situation. They look at the number of men in the box. They understand the the play call, the type of run um, scheme that they're going to be dealing with and the field position they're in and go, all right, if this primary option doesn't come open and there's not a huge cutback lane, I'm taking what's there in front of me and I don't care if I lose a yard or if I only gain one or two. I'm keeping my offense on schedule. I'm not, instead of creating a second and 15, I'm creating a second and eight, you know, and keeping my offense on schedule. So guys who do that well, Nick Chubb does that really well. Um, I think Royce Freeman's pretty good at it. Um, I think that, you know, even a guy like Justin Jackson's kind of underrated in that, uh, out of Northwestern. Um, Sony Michelle's pretty darn good at it out of Georgia as well. Um, So, you know, that maturity is, is important. Um, as far as wide receivers go and pass protection because they got to get on the field, you know, the ability to pass pro as standing up, not just cut blocking, but being able to deliver a punch. You want to watch a guy who can square the, the, the defender and square like all three levels, you know, line, linebacker and defensive back and use a punch and use an uppercut punch as opposed to a jab, because when you can uppercut, you can get into the pads you can also use your hips to roll through that contact so that you're generating leverage and force and you're giving yourself a chance to maintain your hand position and to be able to guide that man. So I want to see some evidence of that. Um, and guys who can block, Sony Michelle's a very good blocker. Um, I would say he's probably one of the better blockers in this class. Wide receiver. Um, you know, the things that can be taught, generally. generally if a player can drop his weight, um which is kind of like i call it sitting in the chair if you if you think about how your weight is distributed and how your let your body's bent when you're sitting down in a chair that's what a receiver is doing when they're at the top of their stem to um create a sudden break on hard breaking routes like curl routes out routes dig routes comebacks um and it creates a sudden stop because it's really about stopping fast more than it is running fast and so if they can do that, then I know that they're going to be good at running. They, they should be able to develop the entire route tree. And if they can develop the route, the entire route tree, they're more likely in every down receiver uh, in many offenses, especially a West Coast offense. Um, things that are hard to teach, like taking contact and catching the ball, being able to just catch the ball and know that you're going to get hit. Especially if you know you're going to get hit and you're seeing the defender coming at you, Julio Jones is great at catching the ball when someone hits him in the back. Um, he know you know if he knows he's going to get hit in the back, whatever he can't see it. But when he sees the flash of that defender across his chest, he tends to get more distracted than than most primary than some primary receivers. He's still a great player, as we can see. But you know the difference between Julio Jones and and AJ Green is really quarterback play if you put AJ green with Matt Ryan, um, AJ green could take an Eric Berry, you know, Earl Thomas sandwich and, and still hold on to a football and know it's coming. You know, he's that kind of player. It's just that, you know, he has Andy Dalton and it's a little bit of a different deal than it is with Matt Ryan. Um, but so like when you look at players who can take contact at this particular position and who can drop their weight, Dante Pettis certainly qualifies. I think he's very good at that. Um, I think that Christian Kirk is pretty good, you know, in that regard. Um, I think that those are the two guys that kind of stand out in that that range who can also drop their weight and be able to, you know, take some contact. Um, Tight end play, I would say that, you know, for them, it's about being able to snap a turn. You know, when you watch um, Tony Gonzalez play back in the day, even when he was old, like with the Atlanta Falcons, and he was you know, on his vegan diet and like trying to bleed out every year he could out of, out of his game, he used to be you know, the top athlete at the position and could outrun everybody. But even when he was slower and only working the first 15 yards of the line of scrimmage, he was one of the most sudden turns. He had some of the most sudden turns on routes like stop routes. And you could see him face much more athletic players playing off in front of him. And he'd just turn around in an instant and get open. And that's all the space you need because they're really playing like in the low post. And he's like that. He's like, you know, my, my buddy Eric Stoner from who used to write the RSP back in the day he'd talk about his old man game. And you think about it as like playing basketball with like the older guy in a rec league who's just killing you in the post because he like knows all the moves he's been doing it for years. He rarely has to move all that much, but he can make these nice little sweet moves and just get position on you all day. And it's nothing but buckets like all day long or the great pass and Tony Gonzalez, that ability to to really just like one step in at the top of his break and spin it around. That's the, he, he got separation immediately and a lot of young Tight ends can't do that, and they don't get open in the middle of the field for like two to three years until they figure out how to do this in the NFL. So, guys who do that pretty well, if I can recall, I think Tyler Conklin's pretty good at it. I think Dallas Goddard is okay at it. Um, you know, I got to remember who else is there that that can do it pretty well. But I'd say those two guys, I think, have some promise to be able to deliver in that department.
0: Whew, goody! I feel like we just got some knowledge dropped on us here. I feel like Luke on deck real road. football knowledge, <laughs> yeah, like, not just like, fantasy. Yeah, right. I'm like learning the ways of the force right now. Um, uh, true, true story though. True story though, Matt. I one NFL player. I took my wife up for a date to the Metropolitan Opera in New York, and we're standing outside. She's looking beautiful. I'm taking a picture of her in front of the Met, and. I, I spun around very quickly, much like you're describing, probably much like, and she, and she's, open. Yeah. And she starts laughing and she's like, who did you see? Like, she's like, she's getting a little salty thinking I turned around to look at a woman, I think, or something. And I'm like, mm. I'm, I was like, that that's Tony Gonzalez. He's here at the Met. And she's like, she's like, she's like, oh no, is that a football player? She's like, please don't go talk to him. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I honored her request. I did not approach him. I, I let him enjoy his evening at the Met. And, uh, but I, I'm glad that you made a, a Tony Gonzalez reference for us here on the there show. Like, there you go. <laughs> but, um, and to that end, uh, our show is called All About Reality. You are our first guest. You've been immensely generous with your time, and I'm, I'm very grateful. Uh, you don't say it and you're modest, but I think you're one of the thought leaders in this fake football game that we that we all love. Um, and one thing that I think is a fun question and might be unique to our podcast is the RSO platform was created by Matt and Steve based on their own experience of being in the front office in the Philadelphia Eagles and their love of the fantasy football pr- platform. So so Matt Waldman, if you could create a fantasy game for any other hobby like that you love in real life, what would that fantasy game be? Like in oh, reality? man.
1: Wow. Um, I think probably it'd probably have something to do involving jazz musicians. So I don't know what that would be, but it would be, it'd be something along those lines. I'm going to give away an idea that we'll never probably, I'll never have the imagination to do, but you know, back in the day, my buddy, Mike McGregor and I, um, who works over at FF today, we actually created the first daily fantasy game. It just never took off. We actually had it out for DraftKings and, um, and what's the other one that's the big one? I forget the name. FanDuel. FanDuel. Yeah, we actually had ours out before. It was called Fantasy Throwdown. There's one called something Throwdown or something close to it. That's not. That's not us. Um, but it. But we had created one, so it was kind of interesting there. But um, if we were to create a reality sports type of game, I, I would say another football related one would that be interesting. Wouldn't it be fun to like have a game where you could like play fantasy with players from any era and, like, somehow have them matched up and, like, be able to use, like, somehow adjusted stats where you could, like, have Joe Green on your defense and, and you know, Steve Largent on your uh, part of your wide receiving core but have them filtered in with guys like, you know, Antonio Brown and, you know, and all that. I think that would be kind of a fun thing to do if you could somehow pull it off using stats and, and randomly doing it in a way that it's all adjusted based on error. But you know, that, those, those are some of the things that come to mind
2: that that would be really interesting. And from my point of view,
0: yeah, who knows, maybe talk to the people over at uh, Madden. I'm sure they could put that together in their databases, right? Because right. they build something of that. <laughs> franchise um, mode. Indeed. Well, Thank you for spending, again, uh, an immense amount of your time with us. This was really uh, really an honor and so much fun to talk some, some fantasy football with you. Um, Goody, where can people find you as, as we head out tonight? Uh,
2: people can find me at Matt Goody2 on Twitter. And obviously, this is the All About Reality podcast available on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Anchor, and Google Play
0: as of now and Matt Waldman on the on Twitter and at your notable writing ventures at football guys where where else should people look for you if they like what they heard tonight Sure you can go to mattwaldmanrsp.com find a lot of work on there including
1: um, you know at the top of the homepage where to get the book and you can go to my YouTube channel the rsp film room and that also has just straight shot videos of you know of shows that I've done either you know ranging from 2 to 3 minutes to even an hour long um breaking down prospects um solo efforts as well as with various players um you know coaching types and um you know other riders
0: all right well gentlemen thank you for a great night on this i'm luke patrick you can find me at fantasy doc Oc, Dococ, and that is our fourth episode of all about reality